This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader. We would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can. Is God real? Are the stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the Word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's Today, uh, today I wanted to spend some time talking about uh, certain uh, uh, issues surrounding the post-resurrection. And uh, I find these things interesting. Brother Cavalier was here last night when I taught the teachers last night, and uh, I told the teachers last night, y'all might not find this interesting at all. I'm going to say the same thing to y'all that I said to them. Y'all might not find this interesting at all, but I do find it interesting, and I do think that it's important that we deal with certain discrepancies or apparent discrepancies that arise within the Scripture. There is a discrepancy in the Scripture regarding what happens with Jesus after the resurrection through to the ascension. There's a, there, there, there is a 40-day period between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. And if you read the four gospel accounts and the first chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, you can come away from this with Confusion. You can come away scratching your heads. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, you probably will be doing it by the time I get through talking to you today. Uh, but I think that it's important that we address these things uh, at, at the time when it's appropriate to do so, and I think that today is an appropriate day. We are technically in Easter time. Do you understand that? Easter in most of the church is not a single day. In fact, we, we have gotten away from using the term Easter. We, 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 we tend to use the term Resurrection Sunday. But Easter in much of the church is a 50-day celebration. It runs from Resurrection Sunday through Pentecost. And Pentecost is the 50th day, okay? So, we are technically in what is called Easter Tide. Uh, and Easter Tide will continue through Pentecost. Once you get into Pentecost, then you will move into what is called Pentecost Tide. Uh, uh, and, and, and 
I know that we are Baptists and, and that Baptists don't necessarily follow the Christian calendar as closely as other denominations do. We are autonomous local congregations. That there is no episcopacy over us. There is no board over us that says that we must address these days uh, within uh, the Christian calendar the way other denominations do. But I do think it's important since many of us uh, come from other denominations and many of us have family that are part of other denominations. And it might be interesting for you to know what's going on within these other denominations within Christendom. And I can already see I've lost half of y'all already. That's all right. Just stay with me. I think you might find this interesting. The period of Eastertide, as we say, it runs 50 days. But the time where there seems to be a scriptural discrepancy is between the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension back into glory. And the discrepancy is this. From where did Jesus ascend? Does he ascend from Galilee? Or does he ascend from Jerusalem? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 28. And I'm reading from the message Version Matthew chapter 28, and I'm reading from the message version. After the Sabbath, as the first light of the new week dawned, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to keep vigil at the tomb. Suddenly the earth reeled and rocked under their feet as God's angel came down from heaven, came right up to where they were standing. He rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Shafts of lightning blazed from him. His garments shimmered snow white. The guards at the tomb were scared to death. They were so frightened they couldn't move. The angel spoke to the women. There is nothing to fear here. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one they nailed to the cross. He is not here. He was raised, just as he said. Come and look at the place where he was placed. Now, get on your way quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead. He is going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. That's the message. He is going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Turn to Mark, chapter 16. You might as well keep your Bibles open today because we're going to be doing a whole lot of turning. Starting with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could embalm him. Very early on Sunday morning, as the sun rose, they went to the tomb. They worried out loud to each other, who will roll back the stone from the tomb for us? Then they looked up, saw that it had been rolled back. It was a huge stone and walked right in. 
They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed all in white. They were completely taken aback, astonished. He said, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, the one they nailed on the cross. He's been raised up. He's here no longer. You can see for yourselves the place is empty. Now, on your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there exactly as he said. According to Matthew and Mark, the first appearance of Jesus to the disciples is not in Jerusalem, but is in Galilee. Turn to Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 1. At the crack of dawn on Sunday, the women came to the tomb carrying the burial spices they had prepared. They found the entrance stone rolled back from the tomb, so they walked in. But once inside, they couldn't find the body of the master, Jesus. They were puzzled, wondering what to make of this. Then out of nowhere, it seemed two men, light cascading over them, stood there. The women were awestruck and bowed down in worship. The men said, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery. He's not here, but raised up. Remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners to be killed on a cross and in three days rise up. Then they remembered Jesus' words. They left the tomb and broke the news to all of all this to the eleven and the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them kept telling these things to the apostles. But the apostles didn't believe a word of it, thought they were making it all up. But Peter jumped to his feet and ran to the tomb. He stooped to look in and saw a few grave clothes. That's all. He walked away puzzled, shaking his head. That same day, two of them were walking to the village Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all these things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were not able to recognize who he was. Now. This is the first mention within the three Gospels that we have read thus far of Jesus appearing to anyone not in Galilee, but in Judea, right outside of Jerusalem. In fact, thus far, what we have read in Matthew and Mark, nobody has seen Jesus at all. All they have gotten is word that he's alive. They, the, the tomb is open. The body is missing, and an angel has said to them, he's risen, and he's on his way to Galilee, and you will see him there. Luke says that he makes an appearance not in Galilee, which, by the way, is 29 miles away. 
because I don't know if everybody understands the difference between Judea and Galilee. These are different provinces within Israel. And there's 29 miles between Galilee in the north where Jesus was raised, Nazareth was in Galilee, and Jerusalem in the south, which is where the temple was and where Jesus was crucified, okay? It's a three-day journey by foot. But it says in Matthew and Mark, thus far, you will see him in Galilee. Luke reports that he was seen in Jerusalem. Keep reading in Luke. Drop down to verse 33. It didn't waste a minute. These were the two who, 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 who Jesus encountered on the way to Emmaus. They didn't waste a minute. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their friends gathered together talking away. It's really happened. The master has been raised up. Simon saw him. Then the two went over everything that had happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. While they were saying this, Jesus appeared to them and said, Peace be with you. So where does Jesus appear to the disciples in Luke? Not in Galilee, but in Jerusalem. Okay? Turn to John. Turn to John chapter 20. Start reading at verse 11. Because the first 10 verses pretty much tell what Luke tells in Luke chapter 24. Start reading in verse 11. John includes something that Luke does not include. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she knelt to look into the tomb and saw two angels sitting there, dressed in white, one at the head, the other at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. They said to her, Woman, why do you weep? They took my master, she said, and I don't know where they put him. After she said this, she turned away and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to her, woman, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? She, thinking that he was the gardener, said, mister, if you took him, tell me where you put him so I can care for him. Jesus said, Mary, turning to face him. She said in Hebrew, Rabboni, meaning teacher. Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and tell them I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. No mention of Galilee. And where does Jesus present himself? In Jerusalem, right outside the tomb where he rose. So, Galilee or Jerusalem, which one? And, 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 and we still haven't gotten to the ascension part yet. What it tells us is that we have a difficult time reconciling everything that happened between the time of the resurrection and the time of the ascension. 
Y'all got some more turning to do. I'm, I'm just stopping to make a point. There is no easy way to reconcile all of these different tellings of, of, of the resurrection. In two places, in, in Luke and John, Jesus appears to disciples in Jerusalem, in Judea, in the area surrounding Jerusalem. I think it's probably more accurate to say it that way than to say in Jerusalem itself. But in Matthew and Mark, and Mark is considered to be the first of the four gospel accounts that was written. In Matthew and Mark, it does not say that Jesus appears to them at all in Judea, but that the disciples are given instruction that he will see them in Galilee and that they are to go to Galilee. Okay? Still got some more to show y'all. Keep reading. Verse 19, still in John chapter 20. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews, had locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and his side. So where, where are they now? Jerusalem. You ain't got to whisper it. They're in Jerusalem. That night, I just told you, it's a three-day journey from where they were back to Galilee. That night, they're in the house. That night, they're locked in the house because they're scared that if they kill Jesus, they might come and kill us as well. But in the house, behind locked doors, in Jerusalem, Jesus appears to them. Verse 24, but Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we saw the master. But he said, unless I see the nail holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe. Here's where it gets interesting. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. Which room? The room where they were eight days before. So they are not in Galilee. And they are not headed to Galilee. They are still in hiding in Jerusalem, in Judea, according to John's gospel account. Jesus came through the locked door, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Then he focused his attention on Thomas. Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe, Thomas said, my master, my God. Jesus said, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without Seen. Skip down to chapter 21 of John. You still with me? In John chapter 21, it says, After this, Jesus appeared again to the disciples, this time at the Tiberius Sea. 
And then in parentheses, according to the message version, it says, the Sea of Galilee. So, after eight days of being in Jerusalem and Jesus appearing at least three times within those eight days, once to Mary, once to the disciples without Thomas, and then once to the disciples with Thomas, there is another appearance of Jesus after the disciples have returned to Galilee, and this is when Peter and several of the others say, I'm going fishing. And Jesus appears to them on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So, my point is this. John has Jesus both in Judea and Galilee. You follow that? Have I confused you thus far? Are y'all doing all right? Because we still haven't gotten to the ascension part. There's no record of where he was. Those, none of the gospel writers tell us where he was within those eight days. We don't know. But we still haven't gotten to the ascension part yet. Turn back to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Look at verse 50. He then led them out of the city over to Bethany. Out of what city? Well, he said he led them over to Bethany. Do you know what Bethany is? Bethany is a suburb of Jerusalem. So if he led them out of the city to Bethany, the city that he led them out of was Jerusalem. Raising his hands, he blessed them, and while blessing them, took his leave, being carried up to heaven. And they were on their knees, worshiping him. They returned to Jerusalem, bursting with joy. They spent all their time in the temple, praising God. Yes, turn to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to try to tie all this together in just a second. I want to get all the scriptures out. Turn to Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 6. While they were to, when they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? He told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. These were his last words. As they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. They stood there staring into the empty sky. Suddenly, two men appeared in white robes. They said, you Galileans, why do you just stand here looking up at an empty sky? This very Jesus who was taken up from you, up from among you to heaven will come as certainly and mysteriously as he left. So they left the mountain called Olives. That gives you a location as to where the ascension takes place, the Mount of Olives. So they left the mountain called Olives and returned where? To Jerusalem. It was a little over a half mile. They went to the upper room they had been using as a meeting place. So according to both Luke and Acts, and it makes sense that it would be according to both Luke and Acts because Luke wrote Acts. According to Luke and Acts, the ascension of Jesus takes place 
in Jerusalem. Luke says near Bethany. Acts says from the Mount of Olives. Both are in Judea. Well, is there any place that suggests that the ascension of Jesus took place someplace other than Judea? Yes, there is. Turn to Mark chapter 16, verse 9. We've already read from the first eight verses. I want you to look at verse 9. After rising from the dead, Jesus appeared early on Sunday morning to Mary Magdalene, whom he had delivered from seven demons. That would have been in Jerusalem. Right? We've already seen that he appeared to Mary from Luke and John. That would have been in Jerusalem. She went to his former companions, now weeping and carrying on, and told them when they heard her report that she had seen him alive and well, they didn't believe her. Later he appeared, but in a different form, to two of them out walking in the countryside. That would have been the two on the road to Emmaus. That would have been in Judea. But they weren't believed either. Still later, as the eleven were eating supper, he appeared and took them to task most severely for their stubborn unbelief, refusing to believe those who had seen him raised up. Then he said, go into the world, go everywhere, and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. Whoever believes and is baptized is saved. Whoever refuses to believe is damned. These are some of the signs that will accompany believers. They will throw out demons in my name. They will speak in new tongues. They will take snakes in their hands. They will drink poison and not be hurt. They will lay hands on the sick and make them well. Then the master Jesus, after briefing them, was taken up to heaven and he sat down beside God in the place of honor. And the disciples went everywhere preaching, the master working right with them, validating the message with indisputable evidence. Now, this is Mark's version of the Great Commission which is found in Matthew chapter 28. We're going to turn back there in just a second. So if Matthew and Mark, remember Mark was written first, if, if, if Matthew and Mark agree uh, pretty much in, in the Great Commission, then we can assume that Mark has Jesus giving this commission from the same place Matthew has Jesus giving this commission, which is on a mountainside in Galilee. So there is at least one place where the suggestion could be made that Jesus ascended from Galilee. Here's the problem with that. You knew there had to be a problem, right? Here's the problem with that. Look at verses 9 through 20 of Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. I just read it to you. If you have any, if you have a Bible that's worth its salt, it will tell you somewhere near the bottom that verses 9 through 20 is contained only in later manuscripts. What does that mean? That means that somebody at some point way after the, the, the earliest versions of this book were written went back and added this too. Remember, there was no kinkos back then, where everything gets copied directly, one from the other. 
The gospel accounts were just like the Old Testament. It was oral tradition for years before somebody decided to write it down. And then after it was written, others assumed the responsibility for copying what was written by hand. The earliest manuscripts of Mark do not contain verses 9 through 20. It stops at verse 8. And in verse 8, there is no mention of an ascension. Got one more to show you, and then I'm done with the scripture part anyway. Go back to Matthew chapter 28. Hope y'all still watching on TV. I know I've lost some people in here, but, but I hope y'all still watching on television while I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. Turn back to Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 16. Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshiped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Now, for those who would argue, and there might not be anybody in this room who would do that, but for those who would argue, well, then if he met them in Galilee, and if he says this, then he ascended from Galilee. Show me where it says in Matthew chapter 28 that he ascended. We, we have read, going back and forth, the entire 28th chapter of Matthew. Show me, please, help me, as Governor McKithen used to say, help me. <laughs> Show me where it says he ascended. We infer from the fact that he gives this charge and the charge sounds so final. We infer that the ascension had to take place at the moment he gave this charge. But the scripture does not say that. So what have we got so far? We've got that on the day of his resurrection, according to Matthew and Mark, Jesus does not appear to the disciples, but the disciples are informed that he has risen. The angel tells them he has risen. But from Matthew and Mark, from the, from the reliable part of Mark, verses 1 through 8, well, I can talk about what happened after that. From the reliable part of Mark, Mark 16, 1 through 8, we don't have any sighting of Jesus on the day of his resurrection 
in Jerusalem. But we do have sighting of his resurrection in Jerusalem from both Luke and John. You follow that so far? John is the only one of the gospel accounts that tells us that Jesus appeared to them multiple times and both in Judea around Jerusalem and in Galilee. John says that he appeared to Mary outside the grave. He appeared to the men walking to Emmaus, which is still in Judea. He appears back in the upper room with the disciples that night, and he appears eight days later again in the upper room in Jerusalem. But then John also says that he appears to the disciples in Galilee on the morning after they were fishing and they hadn't caught anything. Peter and several of the other disciples were out there, didn't catch anything. They look on the shore, they see somebody, and, and, and the somebody that they see, they do not recognize until he tells them, let down your nets on the right side of the boat. And when they let down the nets, the nets are filled with fish. And uh, John turns to, to Peter and says, that must be Jesus. So John has Jesus in both Judea and Galilee. But when it comes to the ascension, the only suggestion within Scripture that Jesus ascended from Galilee is in the disputed section of Mark chapter 16. The only other mentions of the ascension are in Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1. John does not mention the ascension at all. And we just saw that Matthew doesn't mention it either. Even though Matthew gives us the Great Commission and we assume from that commission that after he said that, he leaves. But the scripture itself does not say that. So then, where are we? after I've taken you back and forth through all of these scriptures, where, where, where are we now with regard to what happens within this 40-day period of time? Well, according to the scripture, this is what we can glean. Jesus made several post-resurrection appearances. He appears to Mary and to the women. He appears to Peter. He appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appears to the disciples minus Thomas. He appears to the disciples including Thomas. He appears to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. He appears to the disciples in Galilee on a mountainside. Go to Galilee. Tell them to go quickly to Galilee and there you will see me. And he appears to the disciples in Jerusalem. He appears several different times in both Judea and Galilee, which makes perfect sense because there is a 40-day period of time between his resurrection and his ascension. It only makes sense that they, that they would see him more than once over that 40-day period of time. 
Now, somebody wants to ask the question. I know you want to ask me because I know I've got you riveted now, right? So, so I know you want to ask. Somebody wants to ask, how do you know that he ascended 40 days later? Because the scripture doesn't say that it's 40 days. Turn back to Acts chapter 1. And let's start reading verse 15. During this time, Peter stood up in the company. There were about 120 of them in the room at that time and said, friends, long ago, the Holy Spirit spoke through David regarding Judas, who became the guide to those who arrested Jesus. That scripture had to be fulfilled and now has been. Judas was one of us and had his assigned place in this ministry. As you know, he took the evil bribe money and bought a small farm. There he came to a bad end, rupturing his belly and spilling his guts. Everybody in Jerusalem knows this by now. They call the place Murder Meadow. It's exactly what we find written in the Psalms. Let his farm become haunted so no one can ever live there. And also what was written later, let someone else take over his post. Judas must now be replaced. The replacement must come from the company of men who stayed together with us from the time Jesus was baptized by John up to the day of his ascension designated along with us as a witness to his resurrection. They nominated two, Joseph Barsabas, nicknamed Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, you, O God, know every one of us inside and out. Make plain which of these two men you choose to take the place in this ministry and leadership that Judas threw away in order to go his own way. They then drew straws or threw dice. Matthias won and was counted in with the 11 apostles. Keep going on to chapter 2. When the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the building. Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. Okay, I skipped over the part that I wanted to read. It's in, it's in Acts chapter 1. After his death, I'm sorry, go back up to verses 1 through 5. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. So it was, it was 40 days that he was here. In face-to-face -face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God as they met and ate meals together. So, we know that he was on the earth and that he appeared several different times over that 40-day period of time. What we don't know and what we cannot reconcile is whether or not Jesus first appeared to his disciples in Judea or in Galilee. There is no way to accurately reconcile that. So then what are we left with? This is why skeptics will say, well, that's why you can't believe the resurrection story, because the resurrection story tells us more than one thing. But what we are left with is simply this. Different people tell the story in different ways. You ever, you, you ever been with a friend or with a group of friends who all y'all experienced something? And y'all sitting around and y'all reminiscing, y'all remembering how it happened? And one of y'all starts telling the story and somebody else says, no, that ain't how it happened. This is what happened. No, you got that part wrong. No, no this happened first and then that happened. 
And, and Luke was not a, Luke becomes a historian, but Luke is actually a physician. He, he, he was a doctor by training. But, but because of his relationship with Paul, Paul is the one who leads Luke to Jesus. And Luke does a lot of very detailed work in gathering the information to contain. Luke never met Jesus. So, so somebody would ask, where did, he, where did he get his information from? Well, he uses other materials as sources for his work. He uses the teaching and preaching of Paul. He uses interviews that he had with certain people, most notably Jesus' mother, Mary. How do you know that? Because he says things about Mary that none of the other gospel accounts say. For example, you, you go back and read the, the early part of, 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 of the Jesus story around the birth, and it says that when the angel first appeared to Mary, it says that after the angel and the Mary had this exchange and conversation, it says Mary pondered this in her heart. She thought about it on Well, how does Luke know what Mary thought about? What Mary pondered? Unless Mary told him. He knows because he had conversations. He interviewed Mary. He asked Mary, tell me your version of the story. You tell me what happened. I believe all of them. I just believe that all of them tell the story in a different way. And I don't believe that the stories have to jive in order for it to be true. Just like, just like I was making the point about y'all telling a story that if you all had experienced something, most, most of y'all in here are Shiloh folk. If, if I asked you to tell me what happened on Sunday morning, on a particular Sunday morning when all y'all were here, I'd have to work hard to find a particular Sunday morning when, when all, but, 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 but if I were to ask you what happened on a particular Sunday morning when all of you all were here and y'all started talking about it, I guarantee you y'all wouldn't tell the same story. Some would say the choir sang great. Some would say they were all right. Some would say they ain't do nothing at all. <laughs> Some would say Red really preached that morning. Some would say he ain't do nothing. <laughs> we're going to tell the story differently. We were all in the same place. We we're all at the same time. We're all talking about the same event. But we're going to tell it very differently. Now, somebody's going to raise the question, well, where does divine inspiration come in? That's a very good question. Divine inspiration does not mean that the Bible was written by mechanical dictation. It does not mean that God spoke to each gospel writer and told them precisely what to say. Divine inspiration means that God gave those who wrote the inspiration to write, but it does not take out from them the human element that is included in their writing. And that's why some emphasize some aspects of Jesus' ministry and some emphasize another. For example, I got 15 minutes left. For example, in four gospel accounts, do you know how many Gospels 
do you know that all four Gospels only contain two miracles of Jesus? All four only contain two miracles of Jesus. One being the resurrection. Anybody know what the other one was? No, not Lazarus. Lazarus is only told in John. Who? That's only told in John. The feeding of the, uh, of the multitude. The feeding of the thousands. That is the only other miracle of Jesus that is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are miracles of Jesus that are told in three, but not four. There are miracles of Jesus that are told in two. There are miracles of Jesus that are told only in one. When you talk about Lazarus, Lazarus is only mentioned in John. Nicodemus is only mentioned in John. Turning water into wine is only mentioned in John. There are only two miracles of Jesus that are told in all four gospel accounts, his resurrection and the feeding of the multitude. My point is this. Divine inspiration led these writers to write, to include certain stories of Jesus, but it did not lead them all to include all the same stories. And then when they tell the stories, they don't all tell them the same way. Much like when you gather with your friends and y'all start telling a story and you don't tell it the same way. Matthew says that the, the, the most famous words of Jesus in Matthew are found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It says that Jesus climbs up on a mountain and he sat down and he calls his disciples and he began to teach them. And he starts with the Beatitudes, blessed are these and blessed are those and blessed are the others. And, and, and that's one of the most famous, well-known discourses of Jesus. Luke contains the same teaching of Jesus, but Luke doesn't have it on a mountain. Luke has Jesus in a plane. And whereas Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Luke says Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Ain't no poor in spirit. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit speaking to those who are spiritually impoverished. Luke says, blessed are the poor, meaning those who are economically disadvantaged. These gospel writers did not sit down and collaborate and say, all right, this is what I'm going to put and this is what you put. They were led at different times to write what they wrote based upon what was going on in the church at that time. Mark's gospel account is, is written first. But, but it is generally accepted that Mark's gospel account is the first of the four. And Mark's gospel account is designed for one reason and one reason only, to keep an accurate record of the ministry of Jesus. Because the apostles, the disciples now turned apostles, were beginning to die out. And the story was being lost. People were corrupting the story. And so Mark, who, who was John Mark, who was a protege of Peter, decided that he would write the story as accurately as he could based upon the teaching and preaching of Peter. 
Luke and Matthew use Mark as a source, but Matthew writes primarily to a Jewish audience that converted to Christianity. And so the purpose of his writing is to show Jesus as the fulfillment of ancient Hebrew or Old Testament prophecy. Luke writes around the same time as Matthew, but he writes not to Jewish Christians, but he writes to this unknown person that is called Theophilus. And he writes to, to satisfy Theophilus's curiosity about this Jesus movement. Who is this Jesus and why are so many people willing to follow him and die for him and be martyred for him? And so he writes for a completely different reason. Luke, by the way, is the only non-Jewish writer in the New Testament. Y'all going to do so well on Jeopardy when y'all get on Jeopardy and the, and, and, and the topic is, is the Bible. I'm not, I'm not challenging our salvation at all. I'm on, people will use this as a reason to say, y'all can't even get your story straight. You know, there, there are people who scoff at the church. There are people who laugh. And, and they pick out things like this as a way of trying to ridicule our faith. And I'm simply trying to say, if you tell the same story the same way, and 50 different people tell all the same story the same way, I have more trouble believing that. Because I know folk, and we can't, tell the, we can't tell the story the same way. Some believe that Theophilus is, is a moniker that Luke uses to, to address a group of people and is not a particular person. We don't know. We, we, we can't be certain. Now, John's gospel account, just to finish the whole circle, John's gospel account was written last of, uh, of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's gospel account was written last and much later than the others. The others, Mark was written around the year A.D. 50. Matthew and Luke were written between the years A.D. 55 and A.D. 75. John was written around the year A.D. 90 or 95, much, 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 much later. And according to great Bible scholars like me, because <laughs> there are people who will disagree with what I'm about to say, John is the only gospel account that's written by somebody who actually knew who Jesus was. Because the John who wrote John is the brother of James, the son of Zebedee, the disciple of Jesus. Mark was written by a man who knew Peter but did not know Jesus. Matthew is not Matthew the tax collector. That, 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 that's what a lot of people thought, that it's Matthew the tax We don't know who Matthew is. And Luke, we just told you, never met Jesus but came to know about Jesus from Paul. The only one of the four that knew Jesus as a man of history is John. And that's why I love, I love me some John. All, all four of the gospel writers writes to different audiences. Writes to different audiences and writes for different purposes. And the purpose of John's writing is to confirm the Deity, the divinity yeah. of Christ. Yeah. Matthew and Luke deal with the birth. 
Mark starts with his ministry after his baptism. John goes all the way back in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. All things were made by Him. And not anything that was made was made without Him. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. John writes for a different purpose altogether. Because by the time that John is writing, there is skepticism that has crept into the church as to who Jesus was. Was he God posing as a man? Was he a man that God used and then abandoned? Who exactly was Jesus? And so John writes to make it very clear he is God. In the flesh. John says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For I and the Father are one. John says, glorify your son as your son will also glorify you with the same glory that you had from the foundation of the world. John's entire writing is designed to point people to the fact that Jesus is not just someone pointing to God. But Jesus is God. So he writes for a different reason. He writes for a different purpose. Each one of the gospel writers write for a different purpose. What can we conclude from this? What, what, what happened? I have a hard time with, 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 with the belief that the angel would tell Mary in Matthew and in Mark, tell the disciples, go quickly to Galilee, and there you will see me. You will see him. And they stayed in Jerusalem for eight more days. I, I, I have a hard time believing that Mary went back and said, an angel said that Jesus has risen. And he said, go to Galilee, and you'll see him there. And they said, okay, as soon as Passover's over, we're going to head on out to Galilee. And they stayed in Jerusalem for eight more days. Because that, that would be what had to have happened if we are to try to put the Matthew passage and the, and the Luke passage together. It, it, it just doesn't make sense to me that that would happen. The best that we can reconcile is that Jesus made his appearances both in Jerusalem and later in Galilee. And the, and, and the record of the gospel accounts simply don't give us a, a timeline that we can find. You know, we're all about it happened at this moment, at this hour, in this place. Bible wasn't written for that purpose. It, it wasn't written to give you a blow-by-blow blow description that, that this happened and then that happened and then the other happened. The best that we can come up with is that he, he showed himself in Jerusalem. And he showed himself in Galilee. And he ascended from Jerusalem. I'm very confident that he ascended because Matthew doesn't mention an ascension. And when Mark does mention an ascension, 
it's in a disputed part of that chapter. I'm very confident in the fact that he ascended from Jerusalem. But the most important thing, I got two minutes left and I ain't going to need but one. The most important thing to remember is that for him to have ascended, he had to have risen. And frankly, I don't care whether he ascended from Jerusalem or from Galilee or from Timbuktu. The fact that he ascended means that he rose. And my salvation is not in from where he ascended. My salvation is in the fact that he rose. always a prayer aspect because uh, anytime you do something for the Lord uh, you always want to seek his guidance uh, after uh, after praying though it's, it's a combination of things because uh, one you want to, to try to unify your audience uh, you want to unify them in a way that doesn't offend anybody but at the same time you want to be able to offer like a fresh experience uh, so a lot of uh, a lot of the the, the, the people that uh, we're ministering to goes into that that factor uh, like for instance on first Sunday uh, it's a mass choir Sunday at least at, at the 11 a.m. service so I'm primarily focused more on the older generation uh, and we're, we're more inclined to do uh, material that, that that's dear to their hearts uh, you hear a lot a lot more hymns on first Sunday uh, as opposed to maybe like the second Sunday second Sunday is, is ge uh, geared more towards our youth our young adult uh, and our children so There'll be a, uh, the music will change a little bit. It'll be a little more contemporary, a little bit more progressive. But at the same time, uh, not to alienate uh, anyone, we'll still come back and we'll have at least one hymn uh, to kind of get everybody uh, involved. And I think at the end of the day, it's uh, it's that healthy mixture that kind of sets even this church apart from uh, from other churches, uh, other services, even even other denominations. Uh, we're not afraid. To, uh, to do contemporary music and in the same tone do a, a spiritual or a, a good old hymn, something like Amazing Grace or How, How Great Thou Art. Uh, and I think that all goes into our preparation process. The fact that we're just not afraid, we, we, we'll try anything. <laughs> This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader. We would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can.